Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. In today's show, I'm joined by James Alban. James is an award-winning British illustrator and author of graphic novels. He studied illustration at Edinburgh College of Art and went on to a postgraduate scholarship at the Royal Drawing School in London. He was awarded the Gwen May Award from the Royal Society of Painter Printmakers in 2012, and he was a finalist in the Observer, Cape, Comica Graphic Short Story Prize in 2017 for his comic, Madame Emmy. James's illustrations clients include the Folio Society, The Guardian, and The Wall Street Journal, and he's just brought out his latest graphic novel, which I actually finished last night, thoroughly enjoyed it, called The Delicacy. Hello and welcome to the show, James. Hi, how's it going? It's good, thank you. Yeah, I tell you, this is this is a nice early interview. I enjoy these early interviews. Yeah, I always find um, I always find I have to sort of have to get talking early in the day. Otherwise, I'll sort of spend the entire day thinking about what I'm going to say, and then I'll be overwhelmed with sort of stage pressure when I, when we actually start recording. That, that's so it's that's good a, to be recording early in the morning. It's a good tip. Yeah, just a few um, exercises for the mouth. I think first thing. And yeah, then, yeah, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my I have my sort of uh, my breakfast glass of whiskey, and now I'm ready to go. <laughs> Are you are you coming from Scotland? Yeah, so I'm sitting up here in Edinburgh just now. Okay, yeah, great. Well, anyways, anyway, it's great to have you on. So, how have things been for you over the last sort of eighteen months or so? Um, I mean, things have been fine actually. Uh, I feel almost a little guilty about sort of saying this because obviously, you know, the pandemic has been so terrible for so many people, and um, especially on a say on a professional level, uh, a lot of my friends who are sort of actors or musicians have really sort of struggled. Yeah. Whereas as a self-employed illustrator, I was already working from home. I've got a little studio set up in my flat. And actually, like, I work remotely with all my clients already. And everything just sort of ticked along. It was just that all the, you know, all the restaurants were closed. So I kind of didn't have anything to do in the evenings. But, uh, you know, it was actually been really, um, we haven't been too adversely affected, I would say. That, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's been tough for a lot of people. But I, I, yeah. I think you're right. I think other others have had it quite, um, I wouldn't say easy, but but it has yeah, it's been, made a huge amount of difference. Yeah, yeah. It's been really unfair, the sort of unpredictability of who's been affected by it. And then even, you know, especially um, not just people who've had their lifestyles affected, but people whose health have been affected, obviously. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and you know. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Yeah. Um, anyway, before we talk about your latest book, could you just, you know, please tell us a bit about your life's journey and how you became a freelance illustrator, please? Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, so I work as an illustrator. I um, My life's journey has been fairly straightforward in a way. I um, despite my lack of accent, I actually grew up in the northeast of Scotland. Oh, yeah. um, and then as a, when I was 18, went to Edinburgh College of Art, uh, where I studied illustration. Um, I think drawing has always been this tremendous passion of mine. Like quite yeah. often people will sort of say, when did you start drawing? And to me, it's like I started when I was like two or whatever. You know, I started as soon as I could hold a crayon, as everyone does. And I yeah. think that it's just that, you know, most people reach an age where they kind of stop drawing for fun. And for me, that never happened, you know, and I went from drawing for fun kind of to drawing as a profession. Uh, So through studying illustration at Edinburgh College of Art and then um, uh, sort of traveled around after that, uh, worked as a freelance illustrator in the editorial world. Uh, And then a few years later, I went to the Royal Drawing School in London, um, where I got really into graphic novels. Um, and that's that's when I sort of uh, wrote and illustrated my first graphic novel. Yeah. Um, So that was back in 2015. And now here we are. So most people have an idea about what an illustrator does, but could you just go into a bit more detail on what that sort of work involves, please? Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny question, actually. I think um, 
often I find if I talk to, especially say, I don't know, like uh, my dad's friends, family friends at like a Christmas gathering or something. Yeah. And I tell people I'm an artist or an illustrator, they immediately get an impression of what I do. And it's immediately the wrong impression. Uh, you know, especially if you tell people that you're an artist, they think I'm sort of like uh, oil painting and cutting my ear off and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> basically, there's two main strands to my work. I work in um, graphic novels. So that's writing and illustrating uh, these sort of extensive fully illustrated books, yeah. uh, sort of comic book type things. Um, and then I also work as an editorial illustrator, uh, doing illustrations for newspapers and magazines. Um, and they're really interesting sort of contrasting professional worlds because as a graphic novelist, you take on these projects that take two or three years, like from the initial researching and developing ideas for a script and kind of coming up with the bare bones right through to illustrating every single page that whole process takes years. Whereas in editorial illustration, uh, an art director from a newspaper sends you a sends you an article and they're like, you have 48 hours to illustrate this. So you've so, got a very tight deadline. So it's suddenly these really, really tight deadlines. And they're often very sort of conceptual uh, stories, which I find really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so for me, those two balance each other out really, really well. I think it would be, in a way, exhausting to just do these quick, you know, 48-hour, 24-hour turnarounds uh, week upon week without anything longer to work on. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think it would be sort of uh, exhausting in a different way almost if you just had these like nothing but two-year projects to work on where you kind of don't see the end very clearly. Yeah. Like the nice thing about doing an editorial illustration is you finish the work and then it's like printed in the newspaper the next day. So you kind of have this really real sense of completion. Yes. Um, whereas with a graphic novel, you finish the book and then it takes uh, nine months to come out or something. And then you, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm sort of, I sort of find myself people ask like, so what were, your, what were your initial ideas when you when you started the book? And I think, man, that was three years ago. I don't really remember what my initial ideas were. <laughs> so so when, when a, a magazine or a newspaper gives you something, uh, gives you a project to work mm -hmm. on, they commission you to do something, is it very, do they give you a tight prescriptive sort of format in terms of what they want or do they leave it to you? Normally they really leave it up to the illustrator, so, um, which is really nice. And especially because a lot of the time, uh, a magazine or a newspaper will be commissioning illustration when the story is something that has a kind of conceptual edge that you can't really show in a photograph. Um, so, for example, just last week, actually, I had this this slightly mad, these two back-to-back um, 24-hour -back deadlines with this French newspaper called Liberation. Yeah. Um, one of the stories was uh, a philosopher writing about kind of the concept of home in the modern age. And the other story was about uh, sort of the negative health effects of teenagers using too much TikTok. Um, and they're both really interesting stories, but they're both really, really different. And they're both things where you kind of can't, you know, a, a newspaper could show the article alongside a photograph of like a teenager on their phone, but it doesn't yeah. really get the psychological aspect across, yeah. you know. So I think that's the thing that's really exciting about being an illustrator is uh, tackling those sorts of kind of conceptually complicated subjects. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's also really funny because it means you're doing these two really short jobs where you're really like changing gears between two really different kinds of stories. Um, so for me, that's quite exhilarating. That's the kind of, yeah, yeah so, so just the exhilarating side of being an editorial illustrator. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, totally get that. I mean, as I say, I, I think for me, if, if somebody said to me, you know, you need to illustrate something, and I'm not an artist, by the way, um, I, I gave up when I, I started art, arts, uh, when I did art at school and I thought uh, yeah. oh, it's not for me anyway. Um, but no, if somebody said to me, do something about a, uh, the mental effects of somebody to, you know, teenager on TikTok too much, I would just probably think of a picture of, of a, a teenager in his bedroom or her bedroom with a phone. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you have to sort of 
get more than that. So, so what, what type of things, what were your thought processes in, in developing that idea? I think that sort of, that sort of thinking about these visual metaphors or these sort of concepts are, it, it is something that you really train. And it's funny because I think people can often, uh, the idea, the notion of like practicing kind of the surface of drawing, like making a, you know, you can draw a nice realistic apple sitting on a table and you can make it more and more realistic looking and get the shadows just right and the shine just right and stuff. And that's something you can sit down and practice. If you, if you drew an apple every day for a year, you'd just get really good at drawing apples. Yeah. Um, finding that conceptual side of, of developing images is also something you just practice. Um, but it's just that the process of practicing, practicing it maybe isn't as obvious to an outsider. Um, but I think w- what I tend to do regardless of the project is really just, um, sit down and think there's a lot of list making a lot of sort of making notes and then drawing out these really little sort of thumbnail sketches of all the different kind of literal or conceptual elements that relate to the story and then finding interesting ways to combine them because of course because it's not a photograph you can include any number of things next to each other uh, and give them their own relationships in the drawing um so it's so for example on this uh, this illustration about a, about the concept of a house I, that i did last week um there's a uh, there's sort of relatively realistic drawings of all the things that go into this guy's house, all the furniture and everything, but they're stacked within a sort of, you know, like a kind of square on a triangle kind of child's shape, just idea of a house rather than being like a literal drawing of a house. Oh, okay. um, and contrasting those sorts of things, <clears throat> contrasting those sorts of things, uh, I find really, really interesting. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely a process of practicing coming up with the concepts as well as practicing making them look beautiful yeah That's, that sounds very interesting and and how did you what what did the uh, the teenager with too much tiktok what did that come out like oh that came out actually kind of similar to what you're describing actually it's uh we went through a couple of different couple of different versions i mean in these editorial jobs you always send multiple roughs so multiple like rough sketches so that the art director has a bit of choice yeah and there was a question about whether the article should focus on sort of the positive social sides of TikTok, uh, which involve like, for example, one of the ideas was like, um, there's a, a teenager kind of standing up on their phone and opposite them, there's like a, a phone as tall as they are. And they're stepping into it to meet like a world of friends who live inside the phone. Yes. Um, which shows it in a sort of fairly positive light. There was one that was about the, um, uh, there was one that was about the, um, sort of the the fame and celebrity that people some you know some tiktok followers will have like a million followers and and yeah. make big money out of doing that as well yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we had like a giant sort of uh theater auditorium with like a giant phone on the stage and this like celebrity uh tiktoker on this like opera stage oh, okay. uh, with the with the crowd going wild but then actually yeah. yeah the one we went for in the end i thought what if we really just um we had this teenager in their room on their phone but they're really lit in a way that suggests that they're like hypnotized by their uh, hypnotized by their phone and it's you know one yeah, of yeah. some of the some of the one of the sides of the article was this sort of story that um uh you know it becomes like a drug and it really affects teenagers self-esteem um and the interesting thing with this particular article is that it's written by it's like a charity uh in france where they get young people to write about like write firsthand about their various social issues and then they kind of collate them yeah. so there's lots of different perspectives in the article and some of them are saying like oh, I've got so many followers and I made so much money. And then others are saying, oh, you know, I find myself just getting hooked onto TikTok for three hours a night and it's really having a bad effect on my mental health. And you see this sort of breadth of perspectives. But in the end, we went to this one that's like about the sort of hypnotic effect of TikTok. 
yeah. Uh, that yeah, it was a lot of fun to illustrate, and uh, yeah, yeah I'll se- I'll send you the images so you yeah, can read them alongside the um, yeah. I mean, if you have uh, alongside the to podcast, put them on the, yeah, absolutely. Put, put them on the show notes, perhaps, so people can yeah, see yeah, yeah. I'm talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you, the work that you do is is freelance based. Mm-hmm. How how do you how do you have you have you had a have you actually ever been employed by somebody full time in in art? I haven't been, no, I haven't had a, I haven't had what you might call a real job in such a long time. <laughs> I didn't always, want to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I say it all the time. I mean, yeah. um, when I was, you know, when I was starting out, especially when you're sort of, you know, starting out as an artist, it can be quite difficult to make a living. And I'd always have, you know, have a job in a shop or a job in a bar or something to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, to, to help pay rent. Uh, and I always hated it. I was just like, even I'm, I'm, I'm such a child, like even, a sensible ordinary thing that I was already about to do if a manager comes over and is like oh James could you go and like sort that out I'm like oh no (laughs) (laughs) so I'm always I'm really bad at sort of having a having a regular boss um so I love working freelance in that way um the way it works in illustrator is you um you sort of send out what we call mail out so you send out um either sort of postcards with examples of your work or emails um increasingly emails nowadays uh, to potential clients. So that would be like magazines, newspapers, design agencies, book publishers, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and you sort of establish a rapport with the, uh, with the art directors there. Um, yeah, kind of get to know them, get them to know your work. And then that tends to hopefully lead to them commissioning you. So um, a couple of times a week, yeah, I'll get an email from a, uh, from an art director who'll say like, oh, are you interested? Here's an article. Are you interested in illustrating it? And then yeah. the jobs go from there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it, so we've discussed the sort of conceptual side and the idea side of of how you would put something across and, and illustrate it. Mm-hmm. In terms of technically, is it all done on computer now? Is it watercolor? Is it some other way of acrylic? How, how do you do it all now? Uh, I I barely use a computer at all. Actually, my my artwork is all either watercolor or gouache paint, which is, uh, if listeners don't know, it's very similar to watercolor, but it's more opaque. Yeah. Um, so it gives you that sort of strength of color. But yeah, I just use the computer right at the end of the process because you have to kind of scan the images and yeah. send them off as digital files. I did wonder um, that because having read the book, um, I finished it last night. I mean, there, are, there must be thousands of illustrations in there. Yeah, and yeah. They're all, they're all to, to me, they look as though they must take a long time to do. So if you took, a, say, a, a, a typical part of, say, one page, I'm looking at page 92 mm-hmm. now, and there's, there's a picture. Mm-hmm. Of, um, the guy doing some farming yeah. on the bottom left of the page. Yep. Uh, what what sort of length of time would that take to do? So all the pages in the book basically appear in the originals as they do in the book, but they're about fifty percent larger. Yeah. Um, so the all the panels on any of the pages are arranged like that on the original page that was then scanned in. Yeah. So. Um, the whole double page spread, my, my, my sort of target when I'm working on a book like this is to do a double page spread every day, yes. um, which sort of, I think, I, I think all sort of graphic novelists have a different rate of speed that they work at. You know, for some, some people, I tell people I do a double page spread every day and some people are like shocked that I work so quickly and other people are shocked that I work so slowly. Um, so I think it really depends on the illustrator's individual approach. But yeah, I sort of just sit down every morning I'll have already done the entire book in kind of a rough version. So there exists like the entire book drawn in really scratchy biro lines. Yes. Um, so I've got a sense of the composition for each page and where the text will go and that sort of thing, where the panels will sit. Um, but yeah, I sit down when I was working on it, I'd sit down every morning, sort of five days a week and uh, do, try and do a double page spread. Uh, and then some take longer than others, but it more or less yeah. works out at that sort of speed. 
Um, so yeah, so there's also, you know, sitting, um, sitting under my bed, there is a stack of all the original pages that's about 50 centimeters high or something. Cause they're all done on very thick paper as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I have to say, I'm very impressed with the illustrations. They're, they're very, very, oh, thank you. um, well, they, they, they just, I'd never read a graphic novel before. Obviously, uh, when I was younger, I read comics. Mm. So, you know, I was used to cartoon type stuff and, um, and I, I'd never, I don't know whether a lot of listeners are like me, but I, I wonder what a graphic novel was. Was it something graphic? Was it violent or something like that? Or, 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 I don't know. And, and um, it's, it's opened my eyes to it. It's, yeah. it's interesting because normally when you read a book, you sort of develop a picture in your mind, don't you, in terms mm. of what the characters look like and all the rest of it. Whereas this is, this is sort of done for you. And it's a, an interesting way of, of um, absorbing story, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that uh, it's funny that you say that about it being like graphically violent or something, because I have a similar thing where um, uh, where I tell people, oh, I do graphic novels. And then they say, oh, is that sort of like a teenage thing? And I go, it's kind of for adults. And they go, oh, adult graphic novel. That sounds very saucy. And yeah, yeah. which it isn't at all. It's really, yeah. you know, it's it's uh, it's not adult at all in that sense. But then my um, uh, my publisher is based in America and they're called Top Shelf Comics. And to Americans, Top Shelf is like, oh, it's on the top shelf because it's the best. And to Britain, it sounds like a top shelf magazine, like a pornographic magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's a really seedy sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, misassumption that some people make. But no, I mean, to my mind, uh, the the difference between graphic novels and comics is meaningless. It's really just, it's a format. So some people will call what I do a comic and some people will call it a graphic novel and I don't tend to worry about splitting hairs between the definitions of the no. two, of the two terms. Um, and I think, yeah, what I find really exciting about them is it's almost um, it's almost sits between reading a sort of prose novel and, re- and watching a film, yes. where you have the as an author you have the power to like uh, sit sit your reader down and show them how things look rather than leaving it up to their imagination. Um, yeah. And also it's sort of, I suppose, one of the things I, I always thought, oh, it would be so interesting to be a film director. But I imagine as a film director, you have to collaborate and sort of um, not compromise, but you have to sort of work alongside and delegate to so many different people on the technical side and on the acting side and on the aesthetic side and, and everything. And as a graphic novelist, it's like you're making a film, but you just get to do everything yourself. You get to just micromanage uh, the appearance of every character and what they're doing and how they're standing as they talk and how every scene looks. And I find that really fun because uh, it allows me to sort of almost be a bit of a control freak. Yeah. And, and also the, the level of detail and, and subtleness of some of the stuff in the, in, I'm just looking at um, one of the pages where you've got the people in the restaurant dining mm-hmm. and you've got the, the sort of waiter snobbishly walking around with his plate up in the air and, mm. and the level of detail to what they're actually eating as well. And, and you know, yeah, glasses of wine half full and, and the body language between the, the people yeah so you can see somebody's on a first date here and all this sort of thing it's, it's really interesting yeah i do a lot of um a lot of my kind of research almost comes from uh i just go out into town with a sketchbook and sort of draw yeah. whatever's in front of me so i do a lot of drawing in cafes and bars and restaurants yeah. which then informs a lot of these scenes but uh, actually drawing these big restaurant scenes is like one of my absolute favorite things to do in this book yeah. um to sort of show that you know if anyone any listeners are sort of avid people watchers and enjoy, um, you know, going to going to bars and just sort of seeing what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I find that really exciting, and I, uh, yeah, that 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 informed a lot of my sort of ambition behind the drawings. 
Yeah. Like I say, um, it, it's an interesting way of, of reading a story. And, and I think um, if people get the opportunity to read a graphic novel and, and obviously The Delicacy yeah. uh, or one of your other books, I, I think it's a great start. So where, where did, when did gravel, graphic novels themselves start? Is it, is it something, is it fairly recent, do you think? I think there's been a big uptick in their in their popularity maybe over the last 20 years i mean it's there's a funny question about when you know pinning a date on sort of the start of modern comics like superman first appeared in the in 1938 i think um but actually this sort of telling stories with pictures goes all the way back to the you know the people who would argue that you know the the cave paintings are you know graphic storytelling or you know uh visual storytelling the the bayo tapestry is like a really obvious sort of oh it's from uh, the 11th century, but it clearly is telling a story with words and picture, pictures mixed together. And I quite like that sort of, uh, I'm a bit sentimental about that sort of relationship to the past almost. Um, yes. You know, throughout the uh, 19th and 20, uh, 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, there's this whole history of sort of caricature and people like George Cruikshank or Honoré Daumier um, illustrating and writing together as like political satire, which also... Uh, ties in a lot to graphic storytelling. And I yes. think also there was this sort of 19th century or earlier um, tradition of sort of chat books, uh, which were these um, simply printed sort of block printed books that would tell stories or tell the news to like um, uh, peasants who maybe didn't know how to read and write. And so they'd have someone explain it to them with the help of these pictures okay. uh, that were printed in these books. So that would sort of, that's also an, an element of sort of, that storytelling and then yeah as i say in the, in the 30s you sort of have the start of this like superman superhero comic tradition uh and then i think up and throughout maybe all of the 20th century but particularly recently there's been an explosion in the popularity of uh i suppose the notion that like graphic novels can really do anything they're not limited to like not limited to a a specific age range they're not just for say kids or teenagers and they're not limited to a specific genre so they're not just for stories about superheroes or stories about sort of uh, fantasy or sci-fi but there's a big popularity of sort of uh, books like Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi where she talks about her childhood growing up in Iran um, or uh, people like Alison Bechtel who talk about sort of queer issues and social issues and her own autobiography yeah. and I think there's this huge breadth of the kinds of stories that like graphic, the graphic novel format or the comic book format can be a medium for. Um, And I think that's what's so exciting about being a graphic novelist now. And I think it also expands into being a world that is, because it's not strictly linked to genre, it becomes a world that is accessible to people with any sort of taste. So if you're a person who really likes films uh, or doesn't read many novels, or if you're a person who loves reading novels and isn't really interested in films, for example, there's probably a graphic novel out there that will spark your interest. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess, well, hopefully it's the delicacy. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and I guess if, if you're an artist, it gives you an opportunity to actually produce a, a book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I always sort of semi-jokingly say that I wrote my first uh, my first graphic novel, Her Bark and Her Bite, um, as just an opportunity to give myself something to illustrate. Like I just came to writing. In a way, I'd always written for my own sort of personal interest, but in a way I came to writing stories just so I had something to illustrate, um, which was, you know, it's quite a fun opportunity for me and it's a really nice sort of format to make things in. Yeah. Can we talk about the delicacy itself, please, James? Yeah, absolutely. I've just read read the book um, and we're not going to give any spoilers for any listeners that um, 
want to buy the book and uh, have yeah. an exciting time reading it. But um, it, it, it is a, it's an interesting book. The, the delicacy itself, it looks when you first look at it as, as a fairly sort of um, pleasant journey. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some really interesting twists and turns in it, aren't there? Yeah. Well, so the story is um, two brothers, Tulip and Rowan from uh, the sort of the Hebrides, uh, so the west coast of Scotland, um, decide to leave their little uh, sort of slightly cloistered homestead that they grew up on and move down to London. They have this perception of London as being this um, horribly polluted, corrupted metropolis. And they want to open a restaurant, uh, bringing the sort of wholesome, organic, natural approaches of Scottish cuisine to London as what they'll see as a kind of panacea of the, uh, against the sort of pollution of the metropolis. Um, so they're slightly kind of evangelical to begin with. At first, the restaurant isn't an enormous success. Um, but then on the uh, little bit of land where they start growing their market garden that's going to kind of support the restaurant kitchen, uh, they discover these mushrooms that they can't identify. And they start realizing they're not poisonous. They start serving the mushrooms to the restaurant guests and it becomes wildly popular. Uh, Tulip, the owner of the restaurant, loses his way in a sense. He, he loses his initial uh, evangelical, wholesome, uh, natural food inclinations as the restaurant becomes more and more successful, more and more, he becomes more and more wealthy and he becomes more and more seduced by this sort of like glamorous gastronomic world, uh, which causes a rift between uh, him and his brother and in turn opens a sort of plethora of darkness in his own personality and terrible secrets about their family. Yeah, and and uh, like I say, I can I can thoroughly recommend it. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so where where did you get the idea of the novel from? Where where did the ideas of the two the two brothers and because there's it's almost like a fable, isn't it? Yeah, I really like that sort of um, yeah that sort of almost fable approach to uh, to telling stories. I quite like. Interestingly, a little while ago, somebody asked me if it was a political book, yeah. and I sort of thought, and I don't I don't mean to sound preachy because i realize saying this might put people off and like it's not a political book but it's kind of a moral book like there's there's a clear uh there's a sort of clear dynamic of like uh greed corrupting and you know wholesome uh uh, wholesome integrity versus corrupted greed uh which is one of the elements i think for me there were two main strands it's partly i really like this as i say this this uh sort of emotional conflict between two brothers where one of them represents uh, they both have their flaws, but one of them represents a sort of maybe slightly old-fashioned and insular traditional integrity, and the other one represents this like glamorous, urbane lifestyle of like wealth and gastronomy, and you know, driving flashy cars and like socializing with celebrities and things. Uh, and there's a conflict between them, between sort of selfishness and selflessness, which I think that to an extent everybody, uh, you know, everybody feels elements of that in their own personal context yeah and then the other side of it was really just um as i say i love drawing crowds and i love drawing the i love the restaurant world i I find gastronomy and sort of restaurant cooking really interesting and delicious um and i really wanted to do a story about restaurants um i've got a few friends who work in the restaurant industry or own their own restaurants so they were really generous in like helping me with a lot of research questions letting me go into their kitchens and draw while while the chefs are working that sort of thing um, so that was really good fun and a really interesting approach to the project. So it became natural to like, to combine those two elements, to tell a story that takes place in restaurants and kitchens, yeah. but also tells a tale of 
greed and corruption. James, it was good to see how the the two brothers decided to leave the the you know Northern Scotland Islands. It was the Shetlands, wasn't it? Uh, well, it's the Hebrides, but Sorry, it's a non yeah non specific island uh, in the Hebrides. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, it was good to see how how they were interested to leave, particularly Tulip. Um, but the mother's an interesting character. Are you able to tell us a bit more about her? Yeah, I think my notion for the family, uh, the two brothers and their mother who's who's raised them, is that they've grown up on this. She's sort of a bit of a hippie and a bit of a sort of. Um, she lives, you know, outside off the grid, as, as one might say. They live in a little yeah. sort of homestead, uh, kind of small farm uh, on their island. Um, and she's very into, you know, burning sage to purify the room and that sort of thing. Um, and at the start of the story, I want her to be this sort of anchor that they have that like, you know, maybe the, the mainland is too polluted and corrupted. Maybe it's all concrete and nuclear power and the urban jungle will eat them. But they'll always have this home that's this like wholesome, uh, you know, wholesome, natural little enclave that they can escape to. But as the plot develops and their relationship starts to crumble, they also find the flaws in their mother's lifestyle as well, that it's not just wholesome naturalism, but that she's also quite a kind of controlling person and that she's also a person who maybe has a sort of rigid and prejudiced view of the outside world and of anything that doesn't sort of conform to her like naturalistic lifestyle and I think for me that was quite an important counterbalance because it's quite it's sort of easy in a low-hanging fruit to say like oh London is so you know you know the big city it's so nasty it's so corrupt oh we don't you know don't need their fancy restaurants and things but I thought it was important to balance that with the sort of the notion that what goes on in the countryside in this in a sort of like ostensibly wholesome world that's connected to the earth can still be disconnected from human beings. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it, I thought that was quite interesting how you put mm. that in. So oh, um, in terms of, if, if there's any listeners that would be interested in becoming an illustrator, what advice would you give them? Um, I think the biggest advice is just is draw as much as you possibly can and draw the things, especially if one is you know practically wanting to be an illustrator and wanting to put together their portfolio, draw the kinds of projects that you want to be commissioned on. I think that sort of, I've, I've always found that that sort of, um, that sort of enjoyment of drawing is just so fundamentally important because, you know, if you're setting up, I mean, probably any listener will be able to guess this, but if you're setting up to be an illustrator and sort of going into this realm, sometimes it can be, you know, hugely uh, rewarding in terms of its, um, in terms of external things like, you know, it can be, you can get quite nice lucrative jobs you can get very prestigious jobs uh, with very cool clients or very like interesting stories but sometimes you're just you know because it's freelance sometimes you have three months where you have non-stop jobs and it's really exciting and then you have three months where you just nothing comes in and you're just really sort of despondent and you think what if I'm never going to get another job again yeah. and I think if you love drawing then the drawing itself will see you through like you'll always be satisfied by the very act of drawing, even if yes. you don't get that sort of external validation. Yeah. Whereas I think that if you if if you don't have that sort of passion for drawing, uh, I imagine that going through that sort of a period of sort of uh, a, a barren period in one's professional life would be really, really depressing without, yes. uh, you know, without that sort of external sort of uh, those external benefits. So, yeah, I think that just drawing as much as possible, practicing drawing as much as possible, trying to sort of, experiment and be free with one's drawings as well is really important because to an extent when you're doing commissioned work 
clients are expecting you to produce work like what's already in your portfolio. Um, but if in your personal work and the drawings you kind of do for yourself, if you're able to sort of free yourself and try new things and try different media and that sort of thing, um, that's where you can kind of uh, keep that flame alive and sort of, yeah, keep that passion for drawing going. Yeah, and, yeah. and I guess if you've got a side hustle, i.e. you're doing a graphic novel, yeah. As well as, and then that also. So in terms in terms of a, a younger listener who that you know that perhaps at school still and they want to they want to do some they want to continue their drawing experience. Would you would you recommend that they did go to um, to study? Yeah, I mean that's an, that, that's almost a whole question in itself now because um, uh, I've recently been talking to a friend of mine who's a bit younger who's thinking about going to art school. Um, you know, when I went to art school, which was uh, more than ten years ago, we had this great benefit that it was. Uh, free essentially because I grew up in yeah, Scotland yeah. I went to art school for free yeah. um, which was amazing you know tuition fees are so expensive now it's a different kind of ask to say that one should go to art school I think that um, art school really gives you an experience like no other that you really um, you learn so much and you you're in such a sort of stimulating place when you're in art school yes. um but then if you're asked to put like a five-figure price tag on that, then maybe that's a little bit steep. Uh, and it's difficult. Maybe it's harder to sort of rationalize. I think if one decided not to go to art school, uh, the best thing to do would be to be as focused as possible and um, draw as much as you possibly can and sort of engage with as many extracurricular artistic activities as you could. You know, even if one doesn't go and do a full, like a full-time undergrad bachelor's degree in in illustration there's loads of sort of short courses and and sort of a lot of free resources online a lot of community kind of resources um a lot of yeah you can go and spend five pounds and go and do an evening of life drawing and stuff and i think that one could substitute art school if one was really diligent and really sort of um focused about always going to life drawing classes and always going and you know i don't know uh, taking part in sort of community briefs and that sort of thing yes um but overall, I probably are on recommending art school to people, even though I feel a little guilty about that, because obviously now a student would incur so much debt compared to the kind of debt that I, uh, you know, that I had to pay off after when I graduated. Um, so that is, a, yeah, so yeah, no, so it is just broadly, I'd recommend going to art school, but it's a, it's a hard, it's a harder thing to recommend now than it probably was 10 years ago. You know? Yeah. And that, and that sort of partly answered my second question I was going to ask, which was if there's any listeners, perhaps... Um, who are later on in their years and they've been affected by the pandemic and they want to do something different and they've always liked drawing, perhaps that's something they could consider. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's never too late to start. And I mean, you know, it, it's easy to say that as a platitude, but there's loads of re- now really, really successful illustrators. People like, um, uh, if your listeners know a, a New York-based illustrator called Yuko Shimitsu, she started illustrating uh, when she was 40, she like left a job in finance and became oh, an illustrator. Right. And she's incredible. She's really talented. Yeah. Um, it's never too, never too late never to start too. illustrating um, whether, whether one wants to do that in their own sort of personal life or build a career out of it or anywhere, any mixture between the two. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, you've just got to just keep drawing and just try and make your drawings improve a little bit every day. And that's, that's all it takes really. And on the subject of, of graphic novels, are there any, uh, people who collaborate so for example if say there was somebody who had good ideas for stories but wasn't didn't you know what they, they didn't consider themselves an artist is there a way that they can collaballate with an artist and put the two yeah. are there, is, is that actually going on at all 
Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's, I, I'd say, there's for for every kind of combined author illustrator, there's just as many duos of illustrators and authors working together. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I think. I mean, people can approach it either way. I think you can either if you know an artist or there's someone you want to work with, and you can approach them and sort of build the project from the ground uh, collaboratively. That works really well. Or if you've got a really good like script for a graphic novel and you send it to a publisher, the publisher will help to match you with an illustrator. So. Um, I think that either either can work, but yeah, if one is a if one is an, a writer but not an artist, that shouldn't hold you back at all. Yeah. Any any ideas for your next book? Oh yes, but they're secret. Of course. <laughs> are, are you actually are you actually working on any at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am, but it's uh, it's yeah. the thing is it's it's as I say these these projects um uh, they take several years to complete, and so and this one probably is a little bit different and a little bit more elaborate than the previous ones. So yeah. Um, yeah. it might not be done you know, for, for years and years and years. So I don't want to give away anything away now, lest, uh, lest we have like remarkable changes between now and then. <laughs> so, of course. So if somebody wanted to write a graphic novel and based, based on your experience writing them, what, what do you wish you'd known before you'd started? Um, that's an interesting question. I guess there's nothing, I never had any moments of like, oh, if only I'd known this before I started sort of panic, but I think it confirmed a lot of the things. I think, to an extent, everyone has their own approaches, but I definitely found planning really, really important. Like my my attitude towards uh, my attitude towards making a book is to like make the book in its almost its vaguest sense first, and just make it more and more detailed until yeah. until you have the finished book. Whereas I know some people just start writing a story on page one and just carry on going. So right, you, you ten pages of, a day or something. Okay, so you, you actually know what the whole the premise is and what the story is and yeah. how it's going to end before you before you actually get right into it yeah absolutely the best the best advice that my editor gave me uh was like write the whole story as a thousand words just in you know one piece of paper um and if the story works in a thousand words it'll work in like ten thousand words it'll or a hundred thousand words you know so if you if you can make a consistent sort of beginning and middle and end and have the end informed by the beginning and have like satisfying and dramatic resolutions for the characters in a very very short basis then it will work when it becomes longer and more elaborate. But if you don't sort of have, uh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't kind of balance out or it doesn't work out in short form, then adding more and more sections won't make it more efficient. It'll just make it sort of more all over the place. Yeah. Um, but a, a good editor should also be, you know, very supportive in um, uh, in helping the writer sort of hone the story to make it efficient and exciting like that. Sure. But yeah, I definitely say to someone to someone starting out, uh, have a really good sense of like what the story is about in one or two themes and how the plot will work in about a thousand words. And if you can do that, then everything else will fall into place and just become more and more exciting. Yeah, Whereas, I, guess, I, I guess that would apply to a, 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 you know, a traditional novel as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that element of that those sort of principles of storytelling apply whether you're writing a graphic novel or a novel or a screenplay or a theatrical play or, you know, anything. There's that notion that the story needs to have a beginning, a middle and an end yeah. uh, is is just essential. And then once those beginning, middle and ends work cohesively, then the rest of the story can kind of be grown from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been really good talking to you, James. Where, where can people find out more about your work? 
Well, uh, you can find The Delicacy or any of my other books, A Shining Beacon or Her Bath and Her Bites, on in basically any bookshop, your local independent bookshop. You can get them in, uh, you know, chain bookshops. You can get them on your favorite online retailer. Um, my website is jamesalban.com. Uh, my Instagram is jamesalban.illustration. So if people want to have a look at my work there, then they're more than welcome to. Well, that's great. It's been great talking to you. Thanks ever so much, James. Hey, yeah, thank you very much. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I will be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best. <laughs>